Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Courtney. And this is the Dance Better Podcast. This is our platform to shed some light on the impact mental health has on both current and former dancers. Together with some amazing experts, we're discovering what things dancers can do to help counteract some of those habits and ideas that might not be serving them. So keep listening to hear real stories from real dancers, mental health professionals, and many more to help you dance better. Hey, hey everyone, this is Sarah, and today Courtney and I spoke with Terry Hyde, a UK-based psychotherapist and former dancer. It was such a great talk, and he shared so many nuggets that we can't wait to expand on in future episodes. Yes, this was a great kickoff episode where we touched on current dancers, former dancers, teachers, and parents, and how to address the mental health of a dancer from each of those perspectives. Yes, it was so great. Uh, We do want you guys to know that we are not mental health professionals. Terry is, but we are not. So anything you heard us say in the episode or in future episodes is just stuff from our lives that we've experienced, and it should not be considered medical advice. But we do want to encourage all of you that if any of these things are things that resonate with you or things you would like to explore more um, to help your own mental health, we do really encourage you guys to find a counselor who can kind of work through those issues with you. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Can't wait to hear what you guys think. Here you go. Hi, everybody. Welcome today to the Dance Better podcast. We are so thrilled and excited and honored to have our special guest, Terry Hyde. Everybody, welcome, Terry. Hello. Thank you very much. Uh, Hello, everybody. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Courtney. Hello, Hello. everyone that is uh, (laughs) listening and watching to this. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time. So uh, we're going to kind of jump in pretty quickly. Um, We just, first of all, just like you to kind of give us a little, you know, CV, if you will, just kind of your background and experience in the ballet world, both as a dancer and now as a counselor as well. Okay, six years old, I started doing ballet class. Uh, At 10 years old, I won a five-year scholarship to the RAD in London. I lived just outside of London. And uh, from there, I then went to the Royal Ballet Senior School and spent two and a half years there. The half year was the fact that the artistic director of the Royal Ballet uh, contacted the Royal Ballet School and said we'd like Terry Hyde to join. Um, so I didn't even have an audition. It was great. Um, wow. So I joined them and spent uh, two and a half years or so with the Royal Ballet. And then I wanted to do more. Um, so I joined a company called London's Festival Ballet, which is now called English National Ballet. There was more character work for me there. Um, I joined as a soloist. Um, And again, after about two and a half, three years, I again wanted to do more. I left to go into musical theatre. My first job was a UK tour of West Side Story. Fantastic show. Wow. Best show that I'd ever been. It was really incredible. I then went into what the equivalent of your Broadway musicals is our London's West End musicals. Mm -hmm. I was doing those, um, did film and television. 
then I, when I retired, I set up a business management organization to look after people in show business. Um, and I ran that for 15 years. And during that time, the clients, once we've dealt with business, will start offloading on me. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do with that. Obviously, I've got that sort of face. Oh, he'll listen to me. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. After the 15 years in selling the business, I retrained as a psychotherapist um, and got a master's degree. And that, that was 10 years ago. But it wasn't until uh, an ex-dancer came to me after being uh, discharged from a psychiatric unit that I realized there was a dancer's need there. There was a niche market, as mm. it were, because I'd never seen any dancers in that seven years up, up to that point. So in 2017, when, when I discharged her, I then set up a website called Counseling for Dancers. It's called Counseling for Dancers because not many people have heard uh, or know what a psychotherapist does. So mm, I thought, mm -hmm. let's just have it yeah. Counseling for Dancers. And from then on, I've been sort of pushing for an equality between physical health and mental health in both dance companies and schools and to try and break the stigma about mental health because obviously you know performance is all to do with glamour all to do with wonderfulness and perfectness and yes. any other ness you can think of um so it it can't be seen to be dark it can't be seen to have mental health aspects to it so there's there's a lot of pu uh, pushing that that aside you know our dancers are all right they don't need any help and of course they do because of the way yes. some of them are actually treated, you know, the bullying, the body shaming and all of these sort of things, which people say, oh, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. But it <laughs> does. And I've heard a lot about that uh, during this time of the last three years. So that's where I am at the moment. Uh, there's a book coming out next year called, well, I don't know what it's called, but it's based on my why workshops that I do at the moment. So at the moment, it's it's uh, virtual workshops online for schools, for dance companies, pre-professional schools, um, and also, you know, younger people. So these are really for 13 years and older. Um, and so it's based on the mental health self-care workshop for dancers. So those are the workshops. And the book is called something similar, but without the name workshop sure. in it. But that's coming mm -hmm. out later. So I am available to do the workshops if any of, of uh, your viewers want to book me. There's a website called counsellingfordancers.com and there's Instagram, which I post some sort of helpful notes occasionally. Um, that's at counsellingfordancers. Now, I need to point out that the UK spells counselling with two L's. That's a good point. Yes. And the, right. and the US only has one L. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll make we'll make sure in our show notes, everybody, um, to make sure we spell it correctly so that you can reach Terry uh, and reach okay. out to him for his All services. Right. So now Great. to your questions. <laughs> yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, Here we go. I'm waiting yeah. for I'm waiting for <laughs> <laughs> Well, so our first major question for you. Um, of course, COVID, I feel like, is a whole other subject. Of course, it's interwoven into, you know, 
everything that goes on in our lives. So outside of COVID, uh, what would you say are the top three most common issues that dancers today are dealing with in regards to their mental health? Okay, well, in general, it's anxiety because anxiety covers so many different aspects and they are created by so many different things. Um, Second to that will be depression. So when anxiety really takes over and it continues in a long course of events, then depression comes in because they, they can't keep themselves lifted and up. And so the depression comes in. The other thing will be uh, body dysmorphia and uh, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the anxiety can be performance anxiety, injury anxiety, and all of these aspects. Uh, I can't get this step right, and so anxiety comes in. But anxiety um, is all to do with a thought process, so it's cognitive. And so dancers, especially ballet dancers, the training from an early age, I was six years old, others are going to be younger, is a very black and white thinking. There's a right way of doing it and a wrong way of doing it. And Mm -hmm. so we're corrected all the time. Every time you're in class, you're corrected, which means to some people you're wrong. So that knocks the self-esteem down. And when the self-esteem is down, then there's an underlying anxiety. So when, as, as the progress goes on with the students and the interprofessional dance, there has been recorded in the unconscious, because in my therapy sessions, I work with the clients unconscious. So those are the triggers. So I work with the symptoms as well, but I work with the unconscious. It's a two-pronged attack to be able to understand where the dancer is and what are the triggers are. Mm. So, for instance, um, an antidepressant will help the symptoms of depression, but an antidepressant won't find out what is creating the depression. So in, in my method of the two-pronged attack, I work in the here and now, which is the symptoms, to help them change the way they think, and finding out what the triggers are. The triggers can go way back and Mm. not even to do with ballet or dance necessarily. It could be something that happened uh, in childhood, something that happened at home, something that perhaps parents or adults have said to the child and the child, either it was real or they perceived the meaning of it and they've held on to it unconsciously. So all of these things can create Anxiety. So anxiety, in answer to your mm-hmm. question, is the number one thing usually. That makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I especially liked what you had to say about uh, the triggers, perhaps, or the root, perhaps, not even coming from the ballet training or so, or the culture. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. my If I can expand, could I expand on that as well? Yeah, because you're please saying do. About not dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, if it's not dance, it could be parental or the, the family. So if a family won't discuss feelings, you know, they're the sort of, um, it's like the British stiff upper lip. If, they, if they're, if they're tough and say, well, just get on with it. Don't, don't worry about that. You know, they sweep things under the carpet. You have that expression. In America? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah. So sweeping things under the carpet, 
don't discuss emo emotions, you know. Um, there, there, there is a cultural thing, so certain cultures will not discuss that. They bury things. And so people going through life, uh, it, it may, uh, to, to create these boundaries, uh, are blockages rather than boundaries, within the individual, so they will start blocking things off and suppressing their feelings. So I've had uh, a couple of clients recently come to me and they have great difficulty in expressing their feelings because in their youth and growing up, they haven't been able to express their feelings, so they don't have a vocabulary of feelings because feelings and emotions, there's a whole spectrum of them, but they don't know. So their only thing mm -hmm. is anger. It comes mm. out as anger. Everything comes out as anger, and that's their only expression. So when people say you've got anger issues or you've got anger management, I don't believe anger management actually works in the long term. It may work in the short term, because I'm talking mm -hmm. about antidepressants and depression. Right. So anger right. management is working uh, in the here and now, but you're still going to get the trigger when when something happens and the anger will come out so it's a build up like a volcano over mm. the years and suddenly bang the top of the volcano yeah. goes and you think and, and the individual think wow where does that come from and it comes yeah. from all that build up that you haven't been able to voice your emotions you haven't been able to express yourself because when you were growing up you were told get on with it pull your socks up don't cry Boys mm -hmm. don't cry, especially that's that awful expression. Boys don't cry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. interesting. So Terry, when you talked about anxiety and then depression and then the body dysmorphia, would you list those pretty similar for students versus dancers who are in the next level of, you know, being in a company? Or do you feel like once you're professional, do you feel like there's a different list or even a different order in which um, it's most common? What what dancers professionally would deal with most commonly. They're all human. They're all unique. <laughs> Each one is unique and they're going to bring with them whatever they've had from childhood. So the recipe is exactly the same if it hasn't been dealt with. Okay. I, that makes enough sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. So our next question to kind of dive into the next one, what would you say are the most common obstacles former dancers or dancers who are transitioning out of a career and kind of what they can do to overcome those so you mentioned the anxiety depression body issues while you are in dance as they transition out of that what does that look like from your perspective a lot of it is carried into the new world their new world uh, because if it hasn't been dealt with it's still going to be there and that's that feeling of not being not being feeling good enough um, things aren't right. And I was talking about the fixed mindset, and especially for ballet dancers, uh, even the, even if they go into musical theatre, they still have that fixed mindset. I mean, and I know, because mm -hmm. I, I, I did transition from out of the ballet bubble. Um, some of these um, traits are very positive because there's that concentration, there's that focus, and it, it really pushes you through all the different uh, work that you will do after transitioning. So if you're going to run your own business, there's still that same determination and focus. Mm -hmm. The detrimental side of that is if it's carried too far. You know, you push yourself and push yourself and we'll 
we'll probably talk about perfectionism uh, at, at some point. Um, so the perfectionism, if it's 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 okay if it's not pushed too far. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's getting to be as good as you are able rather than that. Nothing is perfect. Nothing in life is perfect. And you, you get to know that. But the, that fixed mentality will say, no, I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect. In fact, if you look at the prima ballerinas that are touring around the world or in big companies, none of them are perfect. What they do is they have the ability to cover up certain things that they're not necessarily good at or when they're doing solos they won't do that thing they're not necessarily good at they'll just focus on what they're good at so they have the ability to do that uh and and you know they will change choreography to, to fit into that when you're in the corps de ballet or you're in in a in a group of contemporary dancers that's going to be totally different you know you have to comply as it were so you'll always want to compare with another dancer I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that we are all unique. Nobody is the same, not even twins. They're all going to be different. They're all going to think differently. They all have their different personalities. Twins may look alike. And a lot of stuff is based on twins. A lot of research, uh, not mm -hmm. just with dancers, but anything, um, illnesses, etc. cetera. Um, so we are all unique. And to compare yourself with someone else in the studio, someone else in the company, is just going to set you on the wrong track, the wrong track of anxiety because you're not as good as in your head. So when I'm doing the workshops, I get people to think about what they are good at. Mm. And, then, and then they can't compare themselves with anyone else because they're good at that. They may need to work at other things, but they're good at that. And invariably, when I ask that question, the individuals that I, that I, that I pick on, I pick on people, <laughs> that, I, that I choose, I choose, that's it, it's better, that I choose, they will say nothing when I ask that question. But when I get mm. their year group or others in the court of ballet, if it's a, a ballet company or dance company, to say, what are they good at? They'll come up with this list. <laughs> and it usually either embarrasses or that the, the individual becomes tearful because it's, it's something they're holding on to. So they haven't, from childhood, been able to express themselves. There are obviously the confident people that say, well, I'm good at this and this and this and this, and that's fine. There are also, I must mention this, there are also some people who don't get anxious, who don't suffer from anxiety. So it's not everybody that suffers anxiety. Mm. Right. Um, sorry? Just agreeing with you. Yeah, it's oh, um, I see. absolutely. Yeah. Right. It sounds sort of like the way that you're talking about, you know, we love Instagram. <laughs> It's a great platform to share information and to see great pictures and things, but it, everything that you're saying just kind of reinforces to me that, um, you know, what you see on social media is not reality. And you're saying that, um, you know, soloists and, and principal dancers often change the choreography to suit their strengths. So we're not seeing, you know, as an audience, either at a performance live or looking at their Instagram or watching them in class, we're not seeing the faults um, or the struggles that they might have. And I think that's really important um, to just keep in mind as we're enjoying 
these beautiful pictures and videos and performances that, you know, there's quite a lot of failure in order to get to the success. And there's also a lot of hiding of that failure. So, Of course, yes. Uh, my yeah. friend Shelby Williams, Biscuit Ballerina, does a wonderful yes. job on her platform to prove We love that. her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I did, a, I did a, a, a chat with her a couple of weeks ago. It's still on mm-hmm. her uh, IGTV, should anyone wish to, to see it. Um, but you know, she has brought that out because of the perfectionism, mm-hmm. etc. You know, when you see someone do something allegedly perfect, uh, you know, six pirouettes or something on point and they finish on balance, mm-hmm. how many times have they fallen over whilst filming that? You know, yes. it doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen all the time. When it happens all the time, that's great, you know. And and in my in the workshops and in my individual sessions, I use uh, what you call in in the states imagery. I I call it visualizations mm-hmm. to be able to improve their techniques. Because you see, this is where anxiety comes in. They can't do this, or they say they can't do this, and they're telling themselves they can't do. This. And so we work with them to to go through that and and work through it. Uh, Because sometime in the past, they've been told you can't do that. And so that's registered in their head because the teacher said, you're useless at that. And they, so they using the the teacher's voice in their head, you're useless at that. You can't do that. And so if you tell yourself that, no, you can't do it. You won't do it. I was always a jumper and not a turner. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I was always told, "Oh, well, you're not a turner. You're a jumper." Which I love jumping. I love Grand Allegro, but would have also have loved to uh, feel more confident in my turns. So that's a really like that really resonates with me personally, for sure. Yes, And, and this is the thing that teachers need to do: not delineate what you can and what you can't do. They need to nurture and. Say and say, how would it be for you if you were able to do this? So you're putting an idea into the student's head and mm-hmm. saying, oh, actually, I can try that. I can do that. Rather than telling them, you're, you're not a sweater, you're a lathe. <laughs> yes. Work that out. Work it out. Have you got it? Turner, lathe. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, that really reminds me. I mean, it make, makes me think about as far as when we're talking about you know, as a professional, they can tweak the things on stage. You don't see those faults. They recognize they have them. They adjust their choreography. Like you say, they adjust their variation to just don't do that thing then. But it's so interesting talking about that, thinking back as far as training, when you're in the school setting, when you're still learning, it's this idea of perfectionism. Like you said, going back to that, that there's no room for error there. You know, you're not allowed to shift your variation. You're not allowed to have any faults it's it's only allowed to be the standard that's acceptable aesthetically and it's it's how do you suggest for teachers and I know I'm sure with your workshop there's a lot that you dive into this but navigating the the aesthetic of ballet because there is an aesthetic involved there paired with that nurturing environment because that's I feel like that's such the stigma of how do you how how? (laughs) well Courtney that's a it's a difficult thing for a teacher, you know, but there is a lot of pressures on, on, on teachers as long as they're supportive and nurturing and they can see that 
a student needs some work of that rather than putting them down or pushing them aside, uh, not physically, but sort of emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. right, you're no good. You go over there. Uh, or And the other thing is that teacher saying, look at June. She can do this. This is the way mm. you should be doing it. And that's going to start comparing again. And and the teachers that are listening to this thinking, well, how can we do it without actually showing what it should be done? Maybe have videos of professional dancers that they or photographs of professional dancers that they could use as as an aid in in the classes. You know, this is a this is a good line. This is the line that I want. You know, what a beautiful arabesque that is, and and the leg is at the right position. So use something like that rather than someone in class because that person who is very good in class maybe have and she's if the teacher is continually using that she won't like it the dancer sorry I say she he or she won't like it because in the dressing room or the changing room or what do you call it the locker room um the others may think oh she's all good oh goody goody and and all of that so it it puts pressure on that child as well who doesn't perhaps want to be in the limelight even Mm -hmm. though he or she is is very good so the, the teachers have got a different a difficult balance there but to support, you know, using kind words rather than being put down all the time. There are teachers that are they're quite nasty from what I've been hearing in my uh, therapy sessions. That reminds me, too, when you're talking about having that how to navigate it in the studio. I believe it, it may have been on your interview with Biscuit Ballerina, but when you'd mentioned the carrot versus the I don't remember oh, what yes. other word you yeah. used, but having that change of perspective and just shifting to a more nurturing still having the expectations to a degree but just navigating to the end result in a different way yes the carrot and the stick there it is <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's a helpful aid to move a donkey because donkeys you know yes using using a stick they don't necessarily because they're stubborn and but a, a carrot in front of the donkey will make the donkey move because they want the carrot. So that is the expression that I use. You know, sometimes there are students that are stubborn, and so it's difficult for a teacher. And so the support and the nurture and use a carrot. Um, oh yes, and, and of course that's where injuries happen when you go over and over. Teachers, choreographers, artistic directors, principals. One more time, please. <laughs> yes. I'm never means one more time. time. Yeah. Never, no, no, no. And then they get tired. And when mm. they get tired, they're likely to have injuries. And when they have injuries, they don't want to show that they're weak and have because they've got injuries. So that's again where anxiety comes in. I've got an injury. I've got to be, I've got to work through this, otherwise I won't be cast in this. I won't pass the assessment for another year at college. And uh, you know, all of these aspects and so helpful support carrots not stick yes i i love that 
Yeah. It, it also kind of made me think too about, um, you know, like reflecting, obviously we're, we see things through our own lenses and I've been reflecting a lot on my past and my career and, you know, my training, but I've really noticed that, um, and I'm also a ballet coach as well. So I'm trying to impart all these lessons in my classes. Um, but I've really noticed that it, well, from what I can see, it seems like most of the time we're so focused on the end result. So whether it's getting X contract or X position at a school or whatever, it seems like the process is never really celebrated, you know, and the celebration is only at the end of whatever your goal is. And I think um, what you were talking about really makes sense in that we have to nurture ourselves, you know, as professionals, but also nurture our students to help them to understand that the process is part of their career. And that's also going to be a big part of what they look back on at the end of the day and be proud of themselves for. So yeah, I thought that was, that was really, really important. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, you, you, you learn by your mistakes so a mistake isn't a negative thing. It's a learning event. Mm-hmm. And so if you made a mistake, you just say, what did I learn from that? What do I need to do to change that? And, and perhaps the teachers, coaches, whoever, could actually use that sort of wording, not pull their hair out and say, you've done it wrong again. <laughs> because that will just be registered in, in the mind of the child or the student or the professional who then will put pressure on themselves, as as is the won't. You know, that, that's what happens. And then when that happens, then anxiety takes over. When anxiety takes over, they can't think straight. And so they are going to make mistakes because they can't think straight. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a vicious circle. So say, okay, um, you didn't do that so well. What did you do? Uh, and what could you do to be able to get over that? So you're getting the student, the dancer, whoever, the professional, to work through it themselves so they can help. And if there's some underlying issue, not with the dancing, but some other emotional issue that's going on in their life, nothing is going to work for them until that that underlying issue has been dealt with. Mm-hmm. And that is where showing a side of weakness, if you start talking about it, that's the no-no. That's the stigma. So Dancers don't want to show weakness. They want to show they're tough because when you've been five years old or six years old, you're being told, work through your pain. Go through it. It's good for you. Is it? No, it it shortens your career. If you are actually going to have a career, I mean, you get these these dancers that uh, from age 13 are going into competitions. By the time they're 15 and 16, they have burnout and they don't have a career. They can't go on because they've been doing... Everything is focused on the competitions. Competitions are all right, but don't focus on the competitions all the time because you're just going to get burnout. Burnout happens because the perfectionist comes in. Of course, if you don't win, what are you? And you don't win. <laughs> Failure. Come on, Courtney and Sarah, you're losers. Failure. Yes. Failure. Loser. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, you know, you then create, you're a failure, even though you're a brilliant second place. Mm-hmm. And you're a brilliant dancer. It was just that sure. according to the judges, and it's very <laughs> subjective, according to the judges, they like that dancer because in their head, that is what the dancer should look like. 
even yes. though perhaps second, third, fourth, fifth were just as good in their own ways. And that's why teachers and artistic directors and principals of pre-professional schools need to look at the individual as unique mm. and need to convey to the dancers that they are unique. They have their own versatility and not just think that everyone's the same. Yes. Well, that really actually segues really well into our next question. Um, I do that, so you know. I do. That. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can tell that you you've had a lot of experience talking to people, and you're very passionate. So that makes us happy. So it it seems to me, and seems to us, like a lot of dancers have trouble compartmentalizing their lives, whether they're professionals already or pre-professionals. They have trouble compartmentalizing their ballet training with having a life outside the studio. So obviously we know that that's a problem and can cause, like you were saying, the anxiety. So what are some practical things they can do to create better balance within their studio and life? Well, we've had uh, a wonderful um, international crisis, COVID-19. That has opened up positive opportunities for those dancers because they couldn't go into work every day. They couldn't do class and class and rehearsals and rehearsals and rehearsals every day. They have had to stop. And there's a realization in a lot of dancers that dance or ballet in, in particular is not the only thing in their life. They have a family. They've enjoyed time with their family. There's nature, walking in nature going to do other things. And ballet, that ballet bubble is, and dance bubble is not the be all and end all. They need to break out of, of the bubble. They, they need to do something else. They need to make friends outside of the dance and performing arts yeah. world. They need to realize that there, there are other people with different ways of thinking. And that don't necessarily have that st structure that they have uh, impeded on themselves. Mm -hmm. So that, um, you know, looking at someone else's life, I think, oh, actually, they don't do that every day. So do I need to do that every day? And, and you can break away from that. And the anxiety seems to disappear that uh, there are other ways of living, not just the ways that... Uh, that we as dancers have done and um, will do, you know, to carry on until you retire. And in fact, when you retire, you still have that same structure. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's translated into a, a different model, a different way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So do you have any like exercises, like whether it be mindfulness exercises or things like that, that can kind of help help the dancer who's trying to, like you said, push out of that bubble. Um, sometimes it's really difficult, I think, to take that first step, even if you, re you recognize that there's a problem. Um, do you have any, you know, quick practical exercises that they could do to try to push themselves out there a little bit more? Uh, well, the, the first thing I, I do uh, either in the workshops or in therapy sessions is to suggest that uh, they download an app called Insight Timer. That's two words, Insight okay. Timer. It's free. 
unless you press uh, premium, which you don't mm -hmm. want to do because there's I'm, I'm writing this down because I haven't heard of this yet. Insight Timer. <laughs> there, are, there are a number of paid apps sure. for meditation, Calm, Headspace, uh, and, and a few others. All right. So we all know those, but this Insight Timer, and it, it has all different voices. So you choose a voice that resonates with you, that you feel comfortable mm -hmm. with, either uh, an English-sounding voice, or Australian, American, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so when you when you go when you open the app, uh, just click on the bottom of the, if it's on the phone, click on the bottom. It says meditation, then it opens up. For those that haven't done it before, haven't done meditation before, there's a there's an icon saying beginners. So click on that. And they'll talk you through the meditation. So you don't have to sit there in the lotus position with your fingers like this. <laughs> you're, just sitting, you're just sitting in a chair with your hands on your lap, just quietly listening to what's being told to you. If you have difficulty sleeping, there's some sleep, uh, either sounds, there's sleep meditations, there's stories on there. It's all different things that will help you. There, at the moment, I think there's a program about teaching you about mindfulness so mindfulness okay. is to do with being in the moment and being in the moment means that you're not worrying about the future you're not fretting about the past you are just being still in the moment so a simple example if you're doing the washing up and you're washing a fork you're thinking i'm washing this fork and you put it in the dryer I'm washing this knife. So you're not thinking, you're not doing your multitasking. You're not letting your mind wander. So the idea of meditation is to, is to just let your mind relax. Now, you're going to have a thousand and one thoughts in your head. We all have. So you just allow those thoughts. You acknowledge the thought. That's a thought. Let it go away. Yeah. Don't stop it. Don't interact with it. Just let it go. And just even if you want to picture it getting on a bus, and going off, you can do whatever you want. And so that will start calming your mind. <clears throat> you will then be able to start thinking clearer. And when you start thinking clearer, you, you then realize, I don't need to do that. I don't need to think that way. And, a, and an expression that I try and get clients to, to think about is three words. It doesn't matter. Mm. Now, obviously, from some safety point of view, or if you're driving or practical point of view, certain things do matter. But a lot <laughs> of the time, it doesn't matter. You don't need to think that way. You don't need to think about that. Why are you worrying about what that person's eating in, in the restaurant over there? Why can't you just think about what you're eating or what you're doing? So people's minds are expanding sometimes negatively into other things that don't matter. So try and bring it into yourself and be still within it. So that would be the first exercise, Sarah, that you asked me, yes. what would they do? That's a huge if, one. If you work from that, then um, you can go in any direction after that. But we're thinking, so I've got this... Uh, thing about salami technique okay the salami technique do you know it 
I don't. I'd love to hear about cool. it. Do you know it? <laughs> I don't. I have never heard of it either. Okay. So salami, right? I've got, <laughs> I got my hands 18 inches apart. Okay. That's the salami. So you've got a task to do. And you actually, how can you eat a whole salami? What do you need to do to, to eat? A, you can't go, ah, chunk, chunk, chunk through a salami. What do you do? You cut uh, it in, cut it out. into slices. <laughs> you cut it into slices. So when you have a task to do, you cut that task into manageable slices. So you just take one slice out and say, okay, I can do that in, in an hour. Yeah. So you think about a dissertation or a thesis when you're doing a degree. That is the whole salami. You just cut it into slices and do a bit of research and then you do a bit of writing. You do a bit of research and do a bit of writing. And that's how you do that. Oh, my goodness, I've got a whole bally to learn. I've got a whole routine <laughs> to learn. Break it down. Cut it into slices. That will then relieve you of your anxiety because that's what creates the anxiety. When you look at the whole picture, you think, oh, no. Yeah. That's not the way. So they, they, you, you do it. That's, that's another way of stopping the anxiety. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I think we can both relate to that, even just putting this podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And honestly, that really, you're talking about the salami, breaking it down into pieces. That kind of circles back to what things, and my, I mean, it, for me, it just kind of clicked backwards as far as what things teachers can do in the studio to help not nurture the anxiety you talk about competing you talk mm. about performances you're learning these things break that down and then as you complete each of those small tasks celebrate it yay we got mm. there we learned yes. it and you did a good job now let's tackle mm. the next instead of okay that's done immediately we're looking over here mm. and mm -hmm. it's just like it, it just bounces and bounces and you never feel fulfilled in okay I did that and now I can move forward yeah. So yes. <laughs> that kind of bridged to my next question as far as practical things that the teachers can do in their practice to kind of nurture that kind of thinking. Yeah, support is all to do with uh, complimenting the students or the dancers on, on their achievements. That, and and when they when they do that, then the motivation of, of the student comes up rather than putting them down. Because as I said earlier, you know, as, as dancers, we're corrected all the time, which knocks us down. And, and usually the corrections aren't necessarily positive. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, support. Um, so so when, 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 a teacher, when a teacher says, uh, yes, that was very good. I, I'm just wondering whether you could do it this way, which, which mm. could be helpful. So, and, and so it's a different way of... of uh, teaching saying no that's wrong you need to do this it's yeah just, it's I think choosing different words to use it's, yes it's, yeah. it's shifting your vocabulary to to literally say things differently you see yeah. teachers will now there's two different types of teachers there's teachers who will continue to teach the way that they've been taught whether positively or negatively. And then there's the teacher who has been taught in a dreadful way, who will say, I'm never going to teach like that, the way that I was taught, and will change the way to a more positive way. So when you look at some styles of ballet, then the, the way that the teachers were taught back in the old day has continued. 
in a very negative and bullying way. Um, and, and it continues to this day until someone says that is not going to help your, your, your students. Ah, oh, but I was taught that way. Look, I can do it so they can do it. But, mm. you know, we're going back to what I said earlier. Everyone is unique. And what they're turning out are robots. So they may be aesthetically pleasing dancers, but that that is inside their, their being, their spirit, their soul, has been squashed and flattened, so there's no feeling there at all. Mm. And the human has disappeared, and so they're just quite robotic. They may be pleasing, as in, as I said, aesthetically, but really there's no spirit there. Yeah, so thinking more globally, um, all the things we've been talking about have been very specific to um, how, as teachers and directors, we can behave inside the rehearsal studio or in class. But my dream is that eventually the whole landscape of our ballet world, the culture will change to be more healthy for everybody um, as we raise this new generation of dancers coming up. So what about outside of the rehearsal studio? culturally within uh, the company or the school, whether it's audition processes or how they're selecting dancers, how they're selecting repertoire and things like that. Do you see changes that could be made in those areas that will then trickle down to improve the mental state of all of the dancers? Well, I think it's just carrying on what I said about teachers and the old way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the artistic directors um, are... Some are still using an, the old way um, mm -hmm. of, I'm boss, you do what I tell me. If you don't like it, you can get out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so it needs to change from the top downwards. But it also needs assertive communication. And I don't mean assertion as in uh, aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it needs dancers or students to say, to the teachers or the artistic directors, please don't speak to me like that. That really upsets me. Mm -hmm. Now, if the response is, I'm sorry, I didn't realise that, that's good, positive. But if it says, if you don't like it the way that I work, then get it out, then you need to contact the trustees or that mm -hmm. person uh, to be able to get them to realise what the person they've employed. Now, unfortunately, there's a very close relationship sometimes with uh, trustees. I can see you both nodding. There. <laughs> there's yes. a very close relationship. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this person has got such a big name and they're attracting uh -huh. money to the, to the dance company, the studio, and they don't want to release them. So they'd rather hurt all the dancers don't actually say, you're doing wrong. Mm. We actually don't want you anymore. You better leave. Um, and it's happened a few times. There's been some big things uh, recently and last year, and I won't mention them, <clears throat> but we've had that in the UK um, with a, a, a Scottish academy in, uh, that has closed down now because of uh -oh. that. So, yay. But sorry yeah. about the, the students, although a number, quite a number of other academies around have contacted the students and said, look, you can come along here or you send your tape or your CD. Um, so there has been support in, in that respect. Mm 
Um, so things are changing, Sarah, or was it Courtney? I can't remember who asked the question. I'm sorry there. Um, it's okay. So that uh, it has to happen from the down upwards as well as from the top down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking back to when I was a student, obviously you want to be respectful to your choreographer, your director, but I think important is teaching teaching students um, good ways to communicate their boundaries with mm. with uh, their superiors. And I think that's definitely a big cultural shift that's going to have to happen sooner rather than later. So yes, I agree. Yeah. And to kind of wrap up, we've got this last question that kind of tag tails to what you're talking about. There's obviously, we're talking about the dancer and how they are responding to their treatment in the studio. We're talking about the instructor on how they treat the dancers in the studio from a parent's perspective, when they are trying to navigate how to parent these situations, what practical advice might you give a parent who maybe sees their student in not an ideal situation, but maybe you don't have other schools nearby or you're, you know, you're coming up on competition season or casting just came out. You don't want to upset anyone. Things like that. Mm -hmm. How can a parent navigate when their child is honestly still a child and that maybe doesn't feel able to advocate for themselves? There's a a big question. Yeah, that's all right. There's an aspect of of safeguarding. Do you have the same word in your country for for children and vulnerable adults? Safeguarding? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I understand the, the, yeah, I understand the the idea, I think. Yes. All right. Uh-huh. So are the parents putting their children through um, something that they wouldn't like to go through themselves? Mm. So there's a safeguarding aspect. Are they actually safeguarding their children or are they pushing them into the wolves' den? Interesting. So that's mm-hmm. it's their conscience that needs to be looked at. So their own conscience. Would I, as a child like to go in there so forget about I need that part and therefore I will work through it or I need to go to that school and you and and Courtney you said about whether whether there isn't a studio nearby there is always a way and there's always negative things like that there are always opportunities out of negative situations so if you could look beyond what's just in front of you which is the studio here, the show that I need to, I need my child to be cast in. Don't work, the parents don't work what you want through your child and put that child, putting that child in danger because that child will suffer for the rest of their life if they are bullied in the way that some uh, studios bully children. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you stated that about the parents asking themselves if it's a situation they would be willing to put up with themselves. That really resonated with me pretty strongly. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think that's a really good question for us to be asking. Yeah. And it's something too that, I mean, parents have to reflect on even a dancer as you age and you become more your own self-advocate, navigating this idea of being an elite athlete. That's what these professional dancers are they're training at such an elite level just because it's how it's done doesn't mean it's how it has to be done everywhere doesn't have to be that way always there like you're talking about look outside what's right in front of you look beyond that and understand that 
just just take a peek out there. It's out yeah. there. It's I think yeah. it's really easy for when when you've been groomed either as a child or as a family at a studio that you've been going there since the child was four years old or whatever, that you you kind of get lost into the cultural of that specific studio. And like, well, things have to be this way and you have no other choice. If you want to dance, this is the way it is. And I think that's really important for our listeners and parents to understand that it doesn't have to be that way. And like Terry said, there's always a positive out of a negative situation. You just have to look for it. So thank you for those words. It's getting out of that bubble, getting out of that bubble. Like you talked about the bubble that builds those anxiety, depression, body issues, and how that leads into so many things. It's looking outside your bubble and, hey, there's a whole world out there. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. Well, Terry, any closing thoughts? Anything you want to um, leave with our listeners? Yes. When you have a day off, have a day off. Don't go cross-training. Cross don't go to Pilates. Nice. Don't go to the gym. Don't talk to other people in the dance world. <laughs> yep. Go out and walk in nature. That's wonderful. Yeah. 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 And I, I think this is probably, I think you probably just gave us the answer to my, my, we all, we're going to be asking all of our guests sort of like the same fun closing question. And it's um, what advice would you give to yourself in your own situation as a young dancer or a dance professional? I wouldn't have changed anything that I did. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed myself uh, to the utmost uh, and really loved what I was doing. And I got on really well, uh, and I did well as well. That's great. So I, I can't I really advise that. my younger self. <laughs> Carry on, do what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's wonderful. Awesome. awesome. Okay, well, um, Terry, if you want, go ahead and plug your Instagram name again. And then if you have a website anywhere that our listeners can find your workshops and learn more about you. Okay, so www.counselingfordancers2ls. <laughs> dot com <laughs> yeah two okay. else, yeah. and uh instagram account is at counseling for dancers two l's <laughs> okay it sounds like a title of a song doesn't it two i l's. love it yes you, well, you need a theme uh, song terry <laughs> and then your workshops uh, um when are those and available yes so so schools can book me to do or studios or freelance dancers can group together or dance companies can get book me to the mental health self-care workshops or anything specific i mean on the website it describes uh, if you want any spe- anything specific for their own work um, and then I've, i do therapy via zoom uh, for anyone uh feels as though they need it and you don't have to be mentally ill to come to therapy yes you just need to be puzzled as what's going on in your life <laughs> or a crossroads or something and you just need to sort of straighten your your thinking out so remember that you and it's not there's no stigma in going you know really there's no stigma in coming for therapy it's 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 exactly the same this is what i think one post i did a couple of years ago it's exactly the same as saying, I'm just going to the physical therapist to get my knee fixed. Yes. <laughs> Why can't yeah. you say, I'm just going uh, t- for a psychological therapy uh, because I need some help? Yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. Absolutely. 
Well awesome. said. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for yes. joining us today and sharing your wisdom. Um, I, I know I learned a lot. I'm so excited for our listeners yes. to be able to share this with them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. Yes, thank Sarah. you, Sarah, for thank inviting you. me. Thank you for your time. Yes. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. For, it's awesome. coming to the end of my day now. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Enjoy. Awesome. All right. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys. Okay. We just wrapped up that episode with Terry Hyde, our amazing guest. It was so incredible. I hope you found it as valuable as we did. Sarah, what are your thoughts? How are you feeling? (laughs) Wow. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel like I ran into a celebrity on the street and I'm just like, so starstruck just just because of all the amazing nuggets he gave us and things to think about and i mean a lot of it was pretty affirming that yes like we're it we're going in the right direction but then yes. also he gave me so many new insights yes absolutely i i just he's only been doing this specific counseling for dancers for about 3 years it sounds like i know but he's He has so much wisdom to bring and like you said, so many nuggets and it is affirming that idea of just in his recent years, understanding this field specifically, understanding Mm -hmm. how wide this need is, how important this topic is. Mm -hmm. It's it's validating to hear from like a celebrity (laughs) on the street. This, um, this is the, this is where we need to be right now. This is the conversation that needs to be had. So going into that, I mean, the, some of some of those those top three things he talked about, right? Anxiety, depression, body yes. dysmorphia, or s- related eating things. There's, I mean, we can talk for so long about each of those. <laughs> so I'm really excited to yeah. dig into that and bring mm-hmm. more um, some practical tips on how to how to counteract some of that stuff. So I found that so intriguing, and also the insight timer. I have been doing. I didn't mention it there, but I've been doing meditation myself for a couple of months now, and it is. Mm-hmm it has been game changing for my personal health as far as doing that action to get out of my head mm-hmm. and move out of my thoughts. And mm-hmm. when he's saying it doesn't matter, it's that same idea <laughs> of just like, let it go. You know, he talked about if you think about your thoughts being on a train and letting it pass, yeah. being in that meditation space. I've also heard your thoughts are coming like clouds across your brain, right? They're going to come, mm-hmm. they're going to go, just let them go. But giving yourself those couple minutes to just let your brain turn off. Yeah. It's something I wish I had when I was dancing. It's something I <laughs> yes. think is would be very valuable to any dancer because in general, when you talk about perfectionism, when you talk about anxiety, your brain is going constantly. And mm-hmm. I never really gave it much worth that you could be able to slow it down or <laughs> shut it down or what does it even mean to meditate? That sounds awful, but it yeah. really can be so, so valuable when you're in that space. Yeah. And especially talking about preparation for class, you know, I I mentioned briefly in my um, classes with tech ballet that we always start with at least a body scan just to kind of like get into the space, get into your body. Like, how am I feeling today? You know, And, and that also kind of like gives you a little bit of leeway in class or in rehearsal to be like, okay, you know, I'm, 
not feeling great today. So I'm gonna take it easy on one thing and maybe work a little harder on this other thing. Like maybe I'm just going to really explore my artistry and my variation today. And if I don't hit all of my Italian poetes, fine. You know, um, I just think it like just having that as the beginning of your day or the beginning of your class just allows you to set the tone for the day yes. and just to yes. kind of like allow yourself to do what you need to do rather yes. than be a hundred percent on every single little aspect of what you're doing. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. We can go so much into journaling and things like that, but <laughs> it's the yeah. idea of setting your intention. Like you talked about when you step mm-hmm. into the classroom, when you step into rehearsal, you step into studio, what is your atten- intention out of this and how are you going to approach that and giving yourself grace for however you are showing up mm. because there is a lot going on in the background in your life. Well, sometimes I like to think you can just leave it at the door and clock out and go into rehearsal. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I hate you that also, saying. I think it's, it's managing it. It's having the mm-hmm. in, intention to show up and perform, rehearse, practice, train while you still have those things and just navigating your emotional mm-hmm. state, your intention for what your outcome is going to be. So, yeah. Yeah. I love how we kind of folded in injury prevention too. And that if you're physically exhausted, if you're mentally exhausted, that's putting you at risk for injury right there. So that was pretty interesting. Which wraps up to his last point, which was (laughs) the other day off, take the day off. Don't do it. Don't do anything. Don't see anybody. (laughs) Yes. Borrow a dog. If you don't have a dog, it's okay. We're both dog people, but if you don't have one, borrow a dog. Or you could even, you know, volunteer, um, maybe not right now during COVID, but like if you know of a shelter that has dogs that need to be walked, go volunteer, walk a dog, take a 10 minute walk outside in nature, clear your mind. I mean, I know it does me a world of difference. Yes. When my yoga mat goes from sitting inside my house to sitting outside on my back porch <laughs> yes. and I just lay out there sometimes, uh-huh. I, I go out there even with the intention of meditating and then I just lay there yeah. and I'm just like, I'm just going to enjoy this moment. And it's just yeah. that mindfulness of, I'm not going to worry about what happened before in my past. I'm not worrying about mm-hmm. my future goals, but just having that moment every day, every week, even if it's every month, do, you know, meet, you, meet yourself where you're at, but yeah. put it on the calendar, do it do the thing, actually step outside (laughs) in nature, go for the walk. The first step is awareness, right? Knowing I need to do this, but you have to follow through with a, Mm -hmm. with a something, make, make the action and make it happen. Yeah. And meet people outside of the dance world. They're only going to enrich your life in so many ways. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Outside (laughs) the bubble. All right. So um, I think we're going to kind of leave it there. Thanks so much, guys, for listening today. We had so much fun with Terry and hearing his wisdom. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review, and then head over to Spotify, and you can follow us, depending on which platform you're listening from. And then we would love if you share our podcast with your local dance community, tell your friends, tell your teachers, help us get the word out, and feel free to share anything of ours on Instagram or whatever platform you are coming to us from. Yes, you can follow us on Instagram at Dance Better Podcast. And if you have any particular topics you'd like us to cover, guests you'd like to hear from, or if you have questions about the episode, you can either send us an email at dancebetterpodcast at gmail.com, or you can just send us a DM through Instagram. And then to catch us in our own lanes, you can follow me, 
This is Courtney. You can follow me on Instagram at Court Ulrich. That's C-O-U-R-T-U-L-R-I-C-H. To follow me on my journey of intentional wellness, 20-something, former dancer, wife, and dog mom, and all those things that I'm all about. (laughs) Yes. And you can follow me, Sarah, on Instagram at Tech Ballet. That's T-E-C-H-B-A-L-L-E-T. For more information on my virtual ballet programs, um, I also offer, if you're local here to the Philadelphia suburbs, I also offer in-home ballet coaching. Uh, But I do integrate mindfulness work and a lot of the tools that Terry talked about today at the beginning of all my ballet classes, because I really want to make sure all of my dancers feel empowered to explore their movement, but keeping in mind their whole body wellness, including their mental health. So that's all we've got for today, you guys. Thank you again. We cannot wait to interact with you and to bring you even more awesome content and guests in the future. So thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.